Monday football kicked off spring practice today with a slew of events, starting with James Franklin's press conference. We already covered a bit of that today on the BWI Daily Edition, which we recorded at Beaver Stadium. First time in person for the media in quite some time. Uh, all of us here on the BWI Live Show were there. Nate Boward and Dave Ecker coming up in just a little bit. But to let you know what we're talking about on the show today, we're going to give you our thoughts of James Franklin's press conference, what he had to say, and then give our impressions of practice, which came this afternoon. And Sandy Barber also had her, I guess you call it, retirement press conference this afternoon. Both Dave and Nate were there, so they're going to tell us about what they heard and what they saw from Sandy Barber. So let's introduce the gentlemen themselves here on the show. We have senior editor of Blue White Illustrated, Nate Bauer. He is uh, being very quiet today because his children are sleeping, so I won't even go to him right now, and I'll continue to speak very loudly and be happy that he has headphones in. And of course, Dave Eckert, he has his cap behind a door, behind a paywall, behind another door. And of course, he and the refrigerator are here. Dave, you are free to speak. So say hello to everybody. Hello, everyone. I have no noise limitations, unfortunately, for you all. You all have to listen to my takes. So yeah, so it's a day that there's uh, uh Nate, I know you, you and I were very excited for today. And, and Dave, I know you were as well. There's things that happened and we can talk about them. Nate, breathe a sigh of relief. Very slow. Yeah, we 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 went places. We we left our house. I put pants on today. <laughs> that is a, that is what an a, underrated part of today. You are correct. Yeah, yeah, what a day. We did it. Um no, I, I mean, I think there's something to be said for uh look, like I think that we there's no sense in in talking around it. Uh James Franklin you know, and Penn State have been very precautious through the course of the pandemic, right? And yeah. so the result of that was protocols, certainly through 2020, where everything was virtual, uh, you know, and then even into 2021, where after games, really the only time that we were in person with him was outside, right? So outside after practices uh, during the week. Uh, and then outside after games, including rain, snow, and sleep in, you know, right, like the caverns of Michigan Stadium, right, or, or um, Spartan Stadium at Michigan State. So uh, to to be uh, in a normal press conference setting at Beaver Stadium, literally the first time that I've walked into the Beaver Stadium media room since February 2020 today. So, Yeah. It's, it's good. It feels good. I, I was excited. Back. I was excited because I got my first question in two years, so that was great. Uh, uh, Dave, wh when it came to your impressions from James Franklin's press conference, what was, I guess, what you took away initially from what James Franklin had to say or the general tone, something that jumps to mind when we, we look back all the way back to noon today? <laughs> yeah, I guess the big one... Um is that he just gave us the offensive line depth chart, <laughs> which kind of surprised me. Um, and, you know, I mean, they moved away. And for those of you who don't know, this might be a little bit of inside baseball, but Penn State moved away from providing depth charts um, to the media, which it had done traditionally um, last season. Um, so it was kind of surprised. James Franklin was like, here's the starter at left tackle, left guard, center. And he gave us the full two deep. Um uh, of the O-line going into going into the spring. I should probably just read it out, right, um, if we're going to talk about it. so Please do. Uh, yeah, left tackle, Olu Fashanu, left guard, Landon Tengwall, Juice Scruggs at center, uh, right guard, Sal Wormley, and right tackle, Caden Wallace. That's the first team. Um, the second team, left tackle is Jimmy Crist. Left guard is J.B. Nelson. Um, Nick Dawkins is at center. Uh, right guard is uh, Golden Israel Achumba and Alex Fermanic, who is a walk-on defensive tackle, um, who is transitioning to provide some depth this spring. And at right tackle is Ibrahim Traore. Um, and obviously, um, that does not include Hunter Norzad, who is getting here after he graduates in May, um, or either of the freshman offensive linemen. So, um, you know, probably not the too deep looking ahead to the fall, but. That's what they're working with this spring. 
Yeah, uh, and I would also throw in Vegiwana as well uh, as somebody mm-hmm. who is going to be arriving. It's it's so easy because it was literally the last thing that happened for Penn State football and recruiting. So it's it's it, that's one that even sometimes I'm like, okay, yeah, there are three of those yeah. uh, young freshmen coming to Penn State in uh, either the summer or the fall. Um, one quick thing before we get to my next comment. The first is if you're here and you're hanging out with us here on a Monday at 830, if you've migrated from our noon show that we normally do, thank you. Hopefully we gave you enough warning. Start talking about this, I think, last Wednesday to get you ready to know that we're going to be doing the show tonight to recap the day's events. So thank you. And if you're watching, make sure you like the video. We're uh, coming to you after like 12 hours of covering Penn State football, driving all over Happy Valley. We want to give you all this stuff. And we want to share with as many people as possible to like Penn State football. Very exciting time. So share the video with uh, some of your friends. If you have a, a message board or you have a Facebook page or somebody out there that you want them to come over here and have uh, some fun with us, we'll be taking your questions throughout the show. And if you want to donate to the channel so that we can keep singing for our supper, be super grateful for that. Super chats are enabled on the show, but that doesn't mean you don't have to do that to get a question on the air but if you do give a super chat we will be getting to your comments as long as they don't have anything profane or anything that is too outlandish that i can't say on television i'm just going to call youtube television at this point Uh, i want to go back to something you said though dave which james franklin said you're just repeating what he said but it's a bit of a bald-faced lie landon tangwell is the backup left tackle like (laughs) i mean there's no way that Jimmy Christ, I, I think he could be figuring into the two deep if he's a swing tackle. But if anything happens to Olaf Ashanu, Landon Tangwall is playing uh, left tackle. And he talked about flexibility and versatility. First name he came up with, Nate. But that's going to be key this year with guys that need to cross train because there's not a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, he said very bluntly that they're thin, right? I yeah. mean, I, I can't remember exactly the word that he used, but he, he was saying on the offensive line, like they they are not uh, they're not deep, they're not deep, and and that's the case. Uh, we, we often forget, right, that like this is the cycle of spring football, right? Everybody graduates, but it's before you're bringing a full class in. And so all of those guys who left and who are preparing for the NFL draft or just their careers are over, like they're not there. They're not practicing. And so that leaves the 10, uh, you know, the combination of early enrollees transfers, and then whoever you have coming into the program is kind of a walk on, but, but the numbers don't, the numbers don't match up, right? Like you're nowhere close to the 125 that you're going to carry during the course of the regular season. So it's, it's noticeable. Like it's not just the offensive line Uh, pretty much across the board. You can, you can tell at certain position groups, linebacker being one of them that they just, they just don't have a ton of bodies. So that that's kind of one of the, the primary impressions that came, came through just visually, right? Like there's four quarterbacks. That's it. Uh, There's, there's 12 linebackers. That's it. So, um, you know, that's just something that they're going to work through and uh, reinforcements are coming in May and June. And those reinforcements, some of them, as, as we mentioned, Hunter Norzad is, is, a, is a big piece of the puzzle. So when it comes to evaluating this spring sort of offensive line group combination, and I bring up Yuana again because James Franklin said physically he can come in and contribute early if he can get up to speed. So we're looking at, maybe even two guys, another transfer could be on the way on the offensive line. What are you in your mind mentally having to do to adjust what you see, what you're hearing versus what you know to be true, Dave? Yeah. I mean, look, for me, the focus is on the individuals, right? Because outside of maybe the blue white game and and that's to be taken with a grain of salt. Anyway, you're not going to get to see them as a unit anyway. Right. Um, so it's just about which individuals are doing well because those are those are the the gears that you're going to plug into the circuit in the fall. So um, that to me is the focus, right? Obviously, Olufashano is really important. Landon Tangwall is really important. Um, you know, uh, junior college transfer guy like JB Nelson. Um, how's he doing, right? Uh, you know, Sal Wormley, where's he at? Because he missed all of last season with an injury. So for me, that's what the spring is really in in general. Um, and, and especially on the offensive line where you don't have that cohesive unit because you don't have all of your pieces yet. 
when when I'm trying to figure out because you said focusing on the individuals, the talent seems to be better along the offensive line with the players that are involved in the, what we're speaking of when it comes to um, the unit that could be. But at the same time, I could also make the argument, Olofashanu starting for the first time, Landon Tangwall starting for the first time, Caden Wallace in his second season after struggling, Salim Wormley. He's is he's somewhat healthy. He's healthy enough that James Franklin mentioned him as starting right guard and uh, starting for the first time. So I know Greg Pickle over on the BWI Daily Edition said, yeah, it's all great. I got to see it to believe it. Mm-hmm. Is that just the default position for Penn State football fans, no matter how good the talent might be? You got to see it to believe it because they have yet to do it when it comes to putting together a truly great unit. I'd say that 2019 they got to good, but to put together a great unit. Uh, Nate, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know that Alabama fans are saying that right now because they lost the national championship. Like, the the same conversation is happening at literally every college football program in the country at certain positions that they consider to be problem spots for their particular program. Um, You know, it's just... That's kind of the reality is not that spring is an illusion, but spring is so much about development and about setting up the summer months because you have 15 practices to get installed what you want to get installed to to establish the foundation of what you want these guys to work on because it's, yes, there's six weeks, 15 practices that they get to have right now uh, from now until April. However... <laughs> April until the end of July is what dictates a lot of what happens in your program for the season ahead. So the, like these practices right now, I thought it was striking that he, he, uh, that James Franklin brought up during his press conference, you know, kind of the notion that, Hey, you can work on pass sets as an offensive line, right? Throughout the summer, you can, you can do that day and night, but getting good running game work, is really, really limited to this window because you actually have real looks to go up against, right? So, so like, these are crucial practices for this offensive line. Again, as Dave is saying, not for the cohesiveness of the unit, but just, hey, like, this is this is the best look you're going to get in pads. This, this is as good of a simulation as you're going to get until the start of preseason camp in, in late July uh, for that element of the game, which let's be honest was, I mean, I, I don't think there's any question. The weakest part of, of Penn state's entire program last yeah. season was the, was the running game yeah. and Penn state's offensive line ability to, to, to block and to help that out. So th- these are crucial, crucial times, but they're not the window into the season, the way that, August practice are yeah and uh, you mentioned everything that leads up to that not having some of those guys either as early enrollees or as transfers that could get into the program that is where this is kind of an issue and you're banking on the fact that if you're bringing in Hunter Norris that that is a grad transfer he's gonna it's gonna be a quick transition for him maybe where Eric Wilson hadn't played in a year and a half almost two years Hunter Norris been playing football because you know he he played last season so having hoping on some of those things I think is where you're going to kind of hang your hat on that but when you talk about limited reps talk about the passing game the quarterbacks came up during James Franklin's press conference um, and we covered a little bit of it on the daily edition Nate I want to stay with you and I want to talk about the the rep distribution something that James Franklin touched on that we didn't talk about earlier that I think is really important what were your impressions of his comments there about how they're going to work in guys with ones, twos, and threes? Yeah, so I mean, so there's only one ball, right? And there are two elements that that have to be considered. Actually, more than two elements, but I'm going to focus on. There's two. more than one ball during practice, but you are correct in the sense that when you're doing all of that stuff, uh, the first team, second team. So, so, so the things to balance the conversation that's being had is Sean Clifford is very very experienced obviously right but the the entire thrust of the conversation for him this offseason is the notion that he gets a second year for the first time in his career with the same offensive coordinator 
So like, that's a big deal. They, they see that as being a very big deal to have that consistency and get him the work where he knows what page Mike Yersich is on. Mike Yersich knows what page he's on. So, so that's extremely important. But at the same time, they've been down this road of not having a backup quarterback who is prepared to contribute and is prepared to be in that moment. And so you got to find a way to get Christian Bayou, Drew LR and Bo Perbula, the reps that they need. And basically what he said was they're, they're going to figure it out, right? Like there is no hard uh, and fast rule as to how they're going to play this other than as the spring practice goes along, you're probably going to see in the second half, maybe maybe a third of the way through, Christian Veyu get more reps with the ones, and then twos and threes going to uh, Alar and Perbula, right? Like those guys are going to have to rotate through. But he said that the other, and this is again like the third or fourth fourth consideration down the line, is. The defensive line needs a good look, right? Like, or the defensive right. backfield needs a good look. Like these guys, like you're, you're not just, you're not. This isn't happening in a vacuum. You have so many different elements of the team that you have to prepare, and it's, it's not fair necessarily, or it does no good for Joey Porter Jr. to get interceptions on Bo Perbula, right? Like that doesn't, that doesn't do anything for Penn State's wide receivers. It doesn't do anything for the defensive backfield, so on and so forth down the line. Um, that it's, it's tricky. Like they're going to yeah. have to balance all of that. Yeah. And, and Dave, I'm going to come to you in a second. I think it's, the value to me is I understand this is his second year in the system, but he is a six year quarterback. And I've said this this off season, there are only so many ways you can divvy up coverage. So some of that stuff, he, it's on him to know at this point. And then it becomes, how are you augmenting what you did last year? How are you reinforcing the things you want to reinforce? And I want to bring this up again, uh, this picture up again, because I, I, I'm, I'm digging the new Mike Yersich look here with the, he got rid of the flow. He's got the, the trimmed beard. I think this is a better look, I think. And that's kind of what I'm looking for here from the Penn State offense is, yes, we're going to see the same people, but are they looking a little clean, more clean cut? Are they looking a little more like we're locked in? This is the this is got a little more edge to it, maybe. You know, you see that edge on the hair, the edge on the beard. That's kind of where they need to be this spring. And then when it comes to Christian Veyu, he hasn't seen cover six as many times. He has not seen these things, so I think there's a value there to get that. Uh, Dave, what do you think in terms of quarterback reps during the spring and how you would divvy that up or what you think is, is the best course of action for Penn State? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think I, I don't think that Drew Alar and, and Bo Previula need like reps with the ones to learn, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, they're at a stage where at their development where they're just trying to figure it out, right? And, yeah. and, and obviously, you you in, in a perfect world, you'd like that maybe Drew Alar has a connection with Mitchell Tinsley, but you know, I don't I don't necessarily think that's priority number one um, at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're just trying to get these guys integrated. You're trying to get them figured out. You're trying to do whatever you can to facilitate growth in the coming months. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you, you'd like to get them some work, but I, I think there might be some more pressing um, issues. And, and, and you know, I, I actually I feel pretty good about Christian Veyu as Penn State's backup quarterback. Um, I thought he was I thought he was good in the game that he played against Rutgers. Say what you want about Rutgers. That wasn't an abysmal defense. Um, that was a game that. Uh, Penn State was missing a lot of other weapons for, and he managed it just fine. Um, and, and really, if you're a backup quarterback, I, I don't really know that you can ask for much more than that if you're Penn State. Um, so I, I don't necessarily feel like uh, a concern for that position for Penn State, but but definitely, you know, you you, you want to get the reps that you can for the guys lower on the depth chart just in case doomsday scenario happens. Um, Nate, do you? Do you pay it all the mind to who's going through? So we'll dip into a little bit of our observations of practice here because I think it's it's important to this conversation. Do you look yep. into who's one, two, three, and four through a drill when we're out there? Because James Franklin mentions you'll see it when we're out there, and then gave us the the offensive line depth chart. So it's got to mean something, right? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. I think the 
the scholarship linebackers are at the front of right the group, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, they're they're the first ones. They they set the tone. Uh, it's it's just it's just how it works, right? It's the same yeah. in pregame warmups. Like whether whether you're talking about um, put it this way, should you put all of the stock in the world into it if uh, you know? So let me let me give you the reason I bring that up because we're talking yeah. about the quarterbacks, and we only get to see kind of the positional drills at the beginning of practice. And they were working on special teams. When we went. So I was watching Malik Mega and Joey Porter Jr. go through DB Gunner drills. That's not really what we're going to be. But when, when we were looking at the quarterbacks, guess who was number four through there? Drew Alar. Number 15 went through number four. So like when we're talking about the, the pecking order, it is uh, I, it was clear to me. Sean Clifford, Christian Veyu. Bo Prabula, who were both wearing nine, so it looks like nine went twice, and then, you know, Aller coming in in fourth, and that's just how today went. Maybe tomorrow right. those young guys flip, and that's a part of the process. But that's what we heard too that that Bo Prabula fighting, being competitive, being the guy that is is just not gonna give an inch through the winter. And that seems to have set him up in a good position so far to start spring football. So to me, it's not about those two freshmen. It is about getting Christian Veyu ready to go. It is about totally. finding out what you have in him this spring. That's the guy yeah. you need to be focusing on. I mean, look, like let's let's call a spade a spade here. The press conference that James Franklin had today stood in stark contrast to the one that he had in the middle of December and the beginning of February to celebrate the class of 2022, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> this was Hey, that was great. Penn State loves these guys, is so excited that they're coming into the program. Cool. Really, really good deal. Also, today, there's a football season at hand. It is not unlikely or not impossible, but they start at the bottom. They start at the bottom. And the steps that you take and the things that you do at the onset, like the first few weeks the things that your preparedness in the weight room like that was one of the big things right like the takeaways from from chuck losey is hey bo perbula is is came in physically impressive he's in a physical place where he is ready to compete and so i i think that it signals hey uh not everyone is at the same point in their development when they first arrive at penn state and when they first arrive into a college program so these, these are all things that regardless of what their ceiling is and the way that they have been evaluated in the recruiting process, like now they're here, right? <laughs> they're on campus. Right. And so like you, you're, you're not, you're no longer as a coach dealing with potential and projection. You're dealing with what are they here and now today, March 21st, and how do you proceed from there? And and I think that's going to be something to watch through the course of the season is and and you saw this even last year like pe people can change trajectories can can change you, you right. and it doesn't just have to be for injury you can move up the depth chart if you outplay the guy in front of you and that's what they want like they they want that to happen they want the the competition behind the second string the competition behind the first string to push those guys that is that is a main objective uh, for these next few weeks. We'll be taking your questions throughout the show. BWI Live coming to you, wrapping up the first day of spring practice for 2022. Our impressions of Drew Aller, and that was a big uh, focus of our highlight video, which you can also check out here if you're watching on YouTube uh, later once we're done, giving you the in-depth, intensive analysis of everything we saw, which mostly was, eh, they're going through position drills. But that sets up what I, I have to say to Nick Shearer. One thing that wide receivers like Chris Godwin or Allen Robinson did really well is uh, win the ball downfield. Who on this roster, roster do you see, and he says other than Malik Mega, that brings that element to the team? I would disagree about Malik Mega. Other than he's tall, I think you're confusing the two of tall and good ball skills. Because I'd say Jahan Dotson brought that to the table at 5'11". Um, but Dave, I think this is a good question. 
in is there a guy that wins jump balls on the field? Because we haven't really seen that from any of the guys. Would you put Malik Mega in that category? Or is there somebody else you have in mind that can be a contested catch player down the field? Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen Malik Mega do that at the collegiate level. And and you, you've been in his film more than I have, so I'll defer to you on, on, on there. But if you're talking about body types, I think Mega is probably the only body type like that um you know maybe the next guy might be mitchell tinsley um i mean yep. he's 6'1 203 uh he looked big um in case you're not already aware he, he transferred in from from western kentucky this offseason um you know he's a big play guy i think he can make some plays down the field um after that maybe a, a harrison wallace type uh, you know we haven't really seen a lot from him he's a taller guy you know uh, just just thinking about body types here, but yeah, I think if 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 we're going, if if you're asking me for one answer to that question, I would probably say Mitchell Tinsley. I would go with Tinsley as well, and that's that is on his film that maybe not a contested catch as far as a jump ball guy, but when he goes up and gets the ball downfield, he usually makes a big play when he gets there. So. It is something to monitor because the the number one receiver on this team, Nate, is a five foot nine, two hundred and twelve pound slot receiver, and yeah. uh, hey, my now, he's five foot ten. The roster says five foot ten. T Frank. Sure, Come and I'm now. yes, and I'm five eleven <laughs> for sure. I'm definitely looking Parker Washington directly in the eye, Dave. I, when it comes to knowing the difference between five nine and five ten. I know the difference. So either way, <laughs> he is a thick kid, but does he have what Nick is talking about here? Does he have that downfield ability? That's going to be something that I, I think is a fair thing to to ask about this team and, and why I, I think that the question's right, but I think the way it phrased, I, I'm interested in who might fill those deep play roles because the other guy might be, uh, Nate, I'm going to you, Again, downplaying freshmen, but Caden Saunders has those skills, being a playmaker downfield, being able to go up and get the ball in the air. It's Trey Wallace. That's yep. the answer. That's actually a really good point. <laughs> but we the, haven't seen um, anything of him either. I know, but that's okay, right? Because he was doing enough things last preseason to turn heads and to to grab people's attention and the reason that that is happening is because he was winning jump balls he was he was and they're not jump balls right like it, it is to his advantage he jumps through the gym that was the the rap on him was here's a basketball player who could have played division one basketball that they're that's focusing now on one sport and so given that opportunity uh it, it didn't he wasn't ready quite ready last year but uh, you know, and I don't even know that he's exactly ready right now, but if you're asking for that element on this team, he's it. The secondary part that is not being mentioned, but is extremely important to it is who is throwing him that pass? Because <laughs> as you, T. Frank, have done a tremendous job of demonstrating, that is not a consistent part or strength of, of Sean Clifford's game. No, it is so, not. <laughs> right? Like, so the, the, the this this marriage requires two to tango. And right now, uh, neither are there, but there there is the potential, at least, in Trey Wallace. I'm going to throw these next two questions up here at the same time, uh, because I feel like, I'm Your Honor, I'm going to lead the witness on this. Uh, Chris asks, which unit worries you the most headed into the season? And then we get this from Kent, who asks, apologies, you've asked this already, but how is the linebacker core looking after practice one under the new defensive coordinator? So, Nate, you spent more time over there. Dave, were you over with the with the defense or the offense? I, I was so in my lens, I didn't see anybody else. No, I mostly just watched uh, the quarterbacks for the entire time. <laughs> okay, I was assuming you were watching uh, Jake Pinniger because uh, people tell me that I ignore special teams too much. So, uh, But, Nate, I want to go over to you because you spent more time with the defense. Manny Diaz personality, Manny Diaz, um, you know, what was he like as a coach in terms of interaction with players? And then what about Kent's question? What did you see from him interacting with the linebackers specifically if you did? Can I, can I answer Chris's question first? Sure. 
No, I'm I'm kidding. Let me come back though. Just just make sure you circle back to Chris for me. Um, no, I mean I think I think Manny Diaz was a a a presence that you noticed, right? And so, like that's not always the case. It, some guys have different personalities, but Brent Pry was a loud guy who you always noticed. And I think Manny Diaz is picking up the mantle right where Brent Pry, <laughs> excuse me, left off, right? Like, I, I mean, I, I think that he was uh, rolling around, engaged, showing, uh, you know, it was a ball security drill that we saw, right, was was landing on a loose football. Um, and he was right in it. He was, he was right as a part of that. Um, you know, I mean, it's, look, we get to see 20 minutes of practice. And we're trying to see as many things as we can in that time. Do I have like an excellent insight into Manny Diaz, the person and the coach? Probably not. But first impressions, sure. No, I mean, I think I think for for one practice under a new defensive coordinator, yeah, looked apart. Uh, so, what about Chris's uh, first question? Offense, defense, or special teams? What makes you the most nervous? It can't be special teams because they're bringing back Chris Stahl. They brought back sure. their their long snapper, so they're solid there. So, offense or defense? Come on, T. Frank. What's my answer? It's got to be the offense. Always. You, you know why? Got to score points. You know why? You have to score points. Defense and special teams don't matter. Don't worry about those things. They'll like if you're marginally good at those, but really good on offense, you can win a national championship. And next you're gonna tell of, me that you shouldn't use a fullback. What are we doing here? <laughs> Dave, careful. You you are you are about six words away from starting a fight online. So please <laughs> keep things but uh Dave, what about you? Do you agree with Nate and and, and the way he phrased that? Because that's pretty pretty clear from Nate. Um, I don't know. I mean, if you look at Georgia, Georgia had a pretty darn good defense, but I, I, I agree with his answer to the question. Maybe not the methodology, Um, but I mean, I'm look, being dramatic. Defense, yeah, but Nate, stick to your guns. State, you said it. Say it with your chest. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, Penn State's defense was a crutch for the offense throughout almost the entire season last year. So, you know, I mean, the offense has to get better. We know the defense lost some players, um, but yeah, it's and notably the defensive coordinator, I guess, probably mentioned that as well. But yeah, it's the offense, guys. I went through looking at the way the offense performed last year or the way the defense performed last year, because somebody we have these offseason conversations, right? We have these offseason conversations about three linebackers versus three safeties. And that was something that came up today during James Franklin's press conference. We talked about it all week long at Blue White Illustrated leading up into James Franklin's press conference. Another great reason to sign up for a dollar. Link is in the description of the video. Bing, bam, boom. You are getting all this inside information from Blue White Illustrated before we even get to spring practice. And we get to, you know, how do you build a defense? Where do you start? And everyone wants me to say defensive tackle, but... You look at the way their secondary played last year, and you can you, I can point to four plays maybe that gave up touchdowns to win games, but other than that, that Penn State defense, the secondary, was elite. That unit that worked together was an elite unit, and they kept everyone under 30 points except for the Buckeyes and Michigan State in a snow blizzard storm that no one could keep their footing. So I... They were seven and six with a great defense. You have to have a historically good defense with guys that run a four seven nine at the combine weighing three hundred and thirty five pounds. Nate's right. Offense is the most important thing. So look, it's if your defense can hold just about anybody to thirty one right, like thirty one points is not that good. Like that's not that's not a great defensive performance. That that is a middling defensive performance to finish the season, giving up thirty one points a game. But you can score forty four, or you can score forty two, which is let's be honest again is something that Penn State has done in the last ten years. Yeah, they've done it three times. So if you can crack that forty number offensively, you're always going to give yourself a chance. But you're not going to give yourself a chance if your defense has to limit everyone to seventeen points. 
Like you just, you cannot operate that way. Yeah. And they understand that. And that's what they're talking about. Like that's what James Franklin's press conference was about today is everyone went into this off season in that coaching staff, understanding that it's not as simple as, Hey, the offensive line needs to be better. It is top to bottom offensive coordinator, quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends, literally across the, everybody outside of Jahan Dotson last year, I think you could make a very strong case underperformed. Uh, I yeah. hope that's not too harsh, but it's just real. BWI live. We're about halfway through the show today, going to about 930. I always like to give you an hour of content here when we go live and uh, make sure if you're watching, you're having a good time. Thank you, first off, for stopping by on your Monday night. Give the video a like, and uh, if you feel really generous, retweet over at Blue White Illustrated on Twitter so more people know about the show. Nick has another question, and Nick, uh, we're going to go through a little bit of, of this. Uh, he asked, what happened to the slot fade to the tight end? Pat Frymuth, Mike Gesicki used to catch all the time. He's thinking back to 2019 uh, in the red zone with uh, Pat Frymuth. So the first thing, Nick, I want to point out is the two players that you're mentioning are Pat Frymuth and Mike Gesicki, who are second-round picks in the NFL draft. So you start there with what happened to it. Nobody could do it right. Um, and, and, and that's not... That's not to say that it it's not something they can do. Like they, it's not something that they can't do. It's that uh, your primary receiver was Jahan Dotson. Also, uh, in general, we always have this conversation, especially sports writers that are into analytics, that the fade is a very inconsistent play and it's a very low percentage play. But if you want to know the guys that can do it, Nick, that can run a slot fade or just the the fade in the end zone. I think we need to pay more attention to Tyler Warren. I think he's a guy that showed last season in the situations he was given that he can go get those contested catches like those two guys you mentioned, and he's got the physicality and and the route running to be a little bit better than we thought, um, and there's been a lot of praise for him, but I just think he's going to take a step forward this year, and it's going to be a real battle between those three starting tight ends for snaps this, this offseason. And, and into next year of who's going to be the guy that catches the football because there are not a lot of snaps that go to the tight end in this offense traditionally. And we saw that last year when they had a split between three different players. That's another part of the, the tight end room and the tight end conversation that I think is a little bit... Um, I think we gloss over that, that we think that it was just non-productive when the production came from so many different places and was inconsistent, but was there. If you look at and you add up all the targets, they were the number three receiver on the team, but nobody individually stepped up for that. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about the defensive line. Uh, I know Zane Durant came up during James Franklin's press conference. Dave, what did he say there? And then, uh, Nate, we'll get to you about what he looked like and how he looked on the field because you are a defensive guy today. Oh, always. <laughs> yeah, you can tell that James Franklin just like loves Zane Durant, right? Um, you yeah. know, it, he he took a question about him and he was like, he's hilarious. You know, he, he's wearing <laughs> shorts all the time in the winter, apparently. He's a great um, sales pitch for any Florida player to come up here, isn't he? That's what yeah, that was. Maybe that, yeah, maybe I didn't have my cynical glasses on. I thought he just really liked Zane Durant. Meanwhile, he's just trying to pitch Florida recruits to get up here. It could but, be uh, both, you know, like it could be both. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but he also, I guess, getting to the news, um, he said that, you know, he can he can compete for playing time um, as a true freshman at defensive tackle, which um, I thought was notable. And, uh, you know, Zane Durant, I think, won like three or four of the competitor of the day awards that they gave out during winter workouts. Um, mm -hmm. So certainly maybe it's not a, a huge surprise, but um, it was a little jarring to me. I don't know that I was expecting that. So that's something to look out for. Very quiet, I think, offensively from uh, Nick Singleton as far as mm. making an impression on anybody in, in the first the first open practice, which how could you if you're just taking handoffs first? Nobody, uh, you know, with, with shells on. But uh, the downplay of some of the freshmen was a big part of James Franklin's conversation with the media. But Zane Durant was not a part of that downplay. So what did you see from him, and, and how does that stack up in person, Nate? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I, this is stupid, but I'm just gonna say it. He's short. Like he, he stands a, out as being. He's short. Like he just. He is. Yeah, he's he's six one. He's listed as six one, but he, he just compared to the behemoths that he is uh, surrounded by, right at that position on the defensive line. It's just it, it stands out like he he is definitely shorter, does not have the same body size as some of the guys that we're talking about. That said, if you're 6'1", 265 and a true freshman and capturing the attention of the head coach enough to talk about you as potentially working into the too deep, right? Like right off the bat, that says something that says that he has a skill and a preparedness to be ready to play. Um, so no, I mean, I think, I think that was definitely something that, that caught my attention. Um, you know, they just, they're going to want him to continue on the trajectory that he currently is on in terms of adding weight, yep. right? Like if he's a guy, if he's a guy who can get up to, I mean, what's realistic T Frank Two seventy five, two eighty. 280. Well, so tell me, and I, I didn't get a chance to see him. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to get over there because I was looking more at the quarterbacks in the offensive line. Uh, that's the million dollar question. Can his frame handle uh, two seventy is not out of the question. Two seventy five, and I'm wondering if he's putting on good weight because I know yeah. from what what Dave talked about seeing him in person, you talking about seeing him in person, that he put on good weight this off season. They're not going to just put weight on him. So yeah. the prevailing theme is that I, th oh, gosh, my wife is going to be mad at me if I get this wrong. I think two pounds of good muscle a month is what you can realistically put on a frame through training and conditioning. Now, okay. can he do that every single month until the season when you're doing agility drills and in the summer and it's hot? You got to make sure you're eating and lifting and eating and lifting and eating and lifting. So if that's his summer, then I we're looking at 270, I think is the most realistic, healthy, good, usable weight. Anything above yeah. that, and it would probably be pushing it. You know, maybe he gets, and this is always the rap with these guys that are putting on weight is they all lose it during the season, right? right. Like no, nobody, nobody keeps weight on during the season if they're at an unnatural weight to begin with. So maybe gets to 275, but then finishes the season at 265. I'm yeah. not sure that it matters to be honest with you, right? Like the, the objective with him is to play, and this was the example that James Franklin brought up, is to play like Kevin Givens. Yep. And Kevin Givens was not a traditional defensive tackle, right? Like, he he was a three-tech that was almost a defensive end, mm -hmm. and so the more opportunities that you have to get him in the pass-rushing situations, not like, you're not asking him to be a, 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 an Austin Johnson run-stuffer. It's, hey, get, get to the quarterback, right? Yep. Like, get into the backfield, blow plays up, uh, and and get your success the way that you can. So, so and we're going to stick with you. And we're going to stick on the defensive line because speaking of getting to the quarterback and and undersized three techniques, Hakeem Beeman, Adisa Isaac, both lost weight this offseason. Both are going to be explosive pass rushers that Penn State needs to perform. Beeman at defensive tackle, uh, Isaac at defensive end. What were your observations of them when you saw them in practice? I mean, you know, look, like, just just from the perspective of they weren't out there last year, it's good to see them back, right? Yeah. Like they're they're both they're both back out there, and not just both back out there, but the way that you were talking about depth at quarterback, they were involved early in drills, yeah. right? Like it is it is very apparent that they factor in heavily, and <laughs> like I'm I'm sitting here as though I'm like providing this deep insight. James Franklin said that, like he was like, <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are really important. This is a very, very important piece of what they want to do on that defensive line. They have to have, like, setbacks always happen. You know that these things are coming. But for a defensive line that doesn't have a lot of sure things going into this coming season, those are two critical pieces for them to have. And so they are at that point right now where they're contributing. They're back in the mix. They're they're appear to be full go right Adisa Isaac is an injury situation uh, Hakeem Beeman's not so yeah. clearly Hakeem Beeman ha has put himself in a position where he's eligible to play he, yeah. can, he can be back out there and he can contribute again and, and James Franklin said that, that that part is the balance right of keeping him yeah. on track making sure that he's continues to be eligible and continues to be towing the line uh Dave speaking of the line 
and what Nate just said, there's a there's there's a lot of bodies, there's a lot of things on the defensive line. I could rattle off maybe six defensive tackles that you might think are in the two deep or competing for that. So, good thing, bad thing. How do you view that group? To me, it just kind of feels like they've got like you know they they they've got a bunch of lottery tickets in their hand, and they need <laughs> they need a couple to hit, you know, and and and. Right. I mean, I, I'm not sure that it's any different anywhere else, but, uh, you know, I, they, they don't have a lot of sure things. You, you, really, even PJ Mustafer, you don't know when he's coming back or what he's going to be like when he gets back. Um, you know, and, and, and Adisa Isaac, don't really know what you have there. A defensive, the, the other defensive tackle spot, you're, you're replacing a starter. You don't really know what you have. I, look, um, it's not, the ideal situation, but I don't think it's dire. I think they have talented players um, in their pool, and and they just need a couple of them to hit, and they'll be okay. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't expect this to be like the best defensive and state defensive line of all time, but uh, I think they have some guys that can play. Uh, another guy, Smith Vilbert, factoring in as well. He's uh somewhere uh, in the pecking order on defensive end chart, but Penn State's still going after defensive ends in the portal. So is this another area, Nate, where we're seeing competition that is one thing, but the end result of what happens in camp might be another? Or do you think that it, you know, it's too up in the air right now with what's going on with Penn State in the portal at that position? I, I don't know. Not necessarily. I mean, I think that, that he's like right there right i mean I, it, it, uh, again take this for what it's worth but he was repping what would have been second team right behind nick tarburton and adisa isaac mm-hmm. so if he's the second team defensive end do you expect a transfer portal defensive end to displace him i don't i mean i think i think he's a guy who had um you know some some elements that they liked in the first place two years ago, right? So th- these natural trajectories of guys who are now uh, coming into their third and fourth seasons in the program, they have an opportunity. Like they have an opportunity to actually take a step and to be, you know, consistent contributors to what this defense is doing. Do you guys want to talk about linebackers? No. <laughs> Dave. Uh, do you, do you, do you, sure. do you want, do you want to spend sure, 15 minutes talking about Jonathan Sutherland? No, but Nate, for, <laughs> seriously, like, is this, is this very covered ground talking about Jonathan Sutherland moving to linebacker and James Franklin's comments about the change in the defense? I, I don't, I don't know that it's covered ground. I think that it's, it's super early to have really like way less than, you know, about the defensive line. So many of the pieces on the defensive line, whether they're looking in the transfer portal or not, so many of the pieces on the defensive line, you have an idea about, yep. right? Like you, you have a general sense of. Uh, <laughs> Kobe King and Tyler Elston, like, do you, uh, genuinely, do you know anything about either one of those guys? I know and, something about Elston. I don't. I don't know anything about King. I have a better idea of what Elston is after the bowl game. I, I just don't know anything about the, Kobe King. Do you have any idea about Curtis Jacobs as a Sam? Or excuse me, a Will? So, a little bit, but did we know anything about Brandon Smith before the season? We expected him to be a physical presence in the box, and that was the thing he struggled with. So, you never know. Curtis Jacobs is, is a fast, electric player who plays with a lot of physicality. I could see him being more physical because of the way he played and some of the hits he made and some of the ways he played the run. It's just about his eyes. During the bowl game, it was all about his eyes. The yeah. one thing, I, and, and I'm coming back to this, and this is like, this is, I feel like I'm playing piano man here, talking about Jonathan Sutherland and, and the Sam linebacker and, and the field linebacker and the field safety. Uh, the way James Franklin talked about it today, and this has kind of been my coming to understand this, if you listen to the way he talked about we play young guys at that third linebacker spot and you see they always filter over to the will, 
the value of that third linebacker, and he mentioned playing at a high level with those guys and being at linebacker U and having the opportunity to, to recruit those guys is great. But the more you think about it, the more you look at the way they've they've used those players, they never have the same guy play for three years there. It's not like they put Curtis Jacobs there and he plays there for three years. Right. So even though they have played three linebackers, the value of that has always been that of a transitional position. So this putting Jonathan Sutherland there is kind of making that official yep. with Manny Diaz and saying, okay, we are because of the linebacker situation and because of Manny Diaz and because they're bringing in four safeties in the class of 2022, when you have the three freshmen and the transfer, it's kind of a happy confluence of things that they've They're getting more safeties into the program. They have fewer linebackers. They have Manny Diaz who runs a three safety system, this big nickel. And it's something that James Franklin said, going back to Vanderbilt, it's what they ran there anyway. But when they came, when they came to Penn state, Penn state had a bunch of linebackers. So that worked out for them. I guess my question is when you look at the class of 2023 in recruiting, there's a lot of linebackers available. So is is Manny Diaz going to be flexible in that? Is that going to change? But for this year in particular, I think this could signal a transition for Penn State into this defense full-time, especially if Manny Diaz sticks around. And it kind of puts into perspective everything we've seen and that, I don't know, I don't know if it matters between the Sam linebacker and a good safety. If either one is good, I don't know that it matters. First of all, what does stick around mean? For Manny Diaz. So if Manny Diaz is here at Penn State in Happy Valley to be a defensive coordinator and he he's not actively looking to be a head coach, or if he does a great job by week 10, does another program start courting him as a head coach again? Because he's yeah. been a head coach for three seasons. So that's kind of my question is, what's his future as somebody who was a high-profile guy at a high-profile university that only got three seasons as a head coach? Does somebody else see the value there and want to hire him away quickly? And that's really my question. Not it, not that he is particularly here as a mercenary, but like, yeah. is, is the opportunity too good because of the situation? I have a hard time envisioning any of Penn State's coordinators, special teams, offense, or defense, being at Penn State for more than four years, like absolute max of, uh, and I'm not just talking about this. I'm saying any, at any time, right? Because yeah. at this point, the way that James Franklin hires, they are guys who want a shot as a head coach or will have other opportunities that exceed whatever the coordinator spot is at Penn state. Yep. <clears throat> and so, and, and so it's either that or, they don't get it done and they get fired, right? Like it's, it's <laughs> one of those two options, but like four is the absolute max more likely is two, three or 10 years from these guys. So no, I mean, I, I, look, uh, and maybe the read is different between you and I on this, but the way that James Franklin explained what they were doing at Vanderbilt to me sounded like we didn't have any other choice, right? Like the, the they're Vanderbilt. They can't recruit right. linebackers. Like they can't get that quality because linebackers to have the skill set that he's looking for and that he's talking about just don't exist. Like there's just not that many of them. And so they may do kind of, you know, massaging their safeties into this different, this different characteristic, right. As, as a linebacker, who's not really a linebacker. So, I mean, I think I think certainly those are skill sets that they're going to want to continue to have. But mm -hmm. if you can get it in a linebacker who can do the things that Curtis Jacobs did last year, uh, I, I think they will continue to find that very attractive. I, I agree. And you can have a good run of that. I guess my the way he this is this is what I don't know, Nate, because, you know, I, I think there's always the statesmanship part of this of this is the reality for Penn State right now. So James Franklin is going to put that in the best light possible. And sure. uh, there are a ton of teams that run three safeties. Whether they, what I, I wrote about it last week, called 11th defender. Whatever you call your uh, striker position is what Manny Diaz called it at Miami. The Husky, the Star, the Rambo, the Jack, the, the whatever <laughs> masculine name you want to put on the guy that's the tweener. 
whatever you call him, there's a lot of teams that run three safeties. And the way James Franklin phrased it was, and it also is in line with the way that you want to play football in 2022. And I go back to something else that, you know, when we talk about linebackers in general, uh, because there was there was um, some conversation about the fact that all the linebackers lost weight this offseason. I don't know, not a lot of weight, maybe three pounds each, but is that a focus on speed? Is that is that changing kind of the dynamic of what they're looking for from the linebackers under Manny Diaz? These are my questions that I want to see going into spring yep. ball about how they're going to perform. Uh, but my guy M. Shive, too, brings up a, a great question. Does Sutherland have the sp- speed to blitz? Great work today. Always appreciate you. Uh, the question is not does he have the speed to blitz because Jonathan Sutherland has the speed to do anything he wants. He is He is fast. He is strong. He is the guy you're looking for here. But guys, it's just about the instincts. It's just does can he can he does he have the instincts for underneath coverage? Right. So does he have the instincts of Curtis Jacobs? Because it's about the production of the position, not necessarily about uh, you know who who the size. Those are all great, and and I talk a lot about this stuff because ideally you have a guy that's six two two thirty that plays like a safety. He runs and he hits. He can play run pass all those things. Manny Diaz when he got to Miami had. Um, Jaquan Johnson, who's 5'11", 190, playing that Sam linebacker position. So you can, and, and that was a good defense that year. So you can have, however you want, just find the guys that have the traits to play the position. Um, so we we haven't yet touched on Sandy Barber's retirement press conference. Um, Nate, I'm going to come back to you in just a second. Dave, uh, what were your overall impressions of what's next for Penn State and what's next for Sandy Barber. What did she have to say about that? Yeah, I think whether intentional or not, she was like a little deflective of like when exactly she's leaving. Um, she was asked basically for the date because I think in her, her uh, in the release that they sent out last week, they said the summer um, kind of ambiguously. And she didn't really say when she said that she would leave once there was a new hire made. Um, and, and that person was like ready to take over. So I don't really know what to make of that. Um, and she was also asked whether she would be involved in the decision-making process for the new hire, whether she would provide advice. And it didn't really sound to to me like she's been asked for it. Um, yeah, so it sounds like Penn State, and for those of you who don't know, Penn State is also going to undergo a presidential change. Um, Dr. Eric Barron is retiring this summer. He's being replaced by Dr. Neely Bendapudi from uh, Louisville, and it sounds like she's going to make that decision, So, or she will make that decision. Um, so yeah, uh, not a little, little light on the details, but maybe a general idea of what's going to happen. Nate, it sounds like just from, and I, I not have not had a chance to listen to her full comments from earlier today, sounds like she was not interested in being a part of the NIL landscape because one of the things I read that you guys talked about is that she's not going to pursue another job as an athletic director. Obviously, she's near retirement age, but she said, I- I'm not interested in doing that again. Is that a fair assessment of kind of her exit out of this arena in college football? Yeah, I don't know that I don't know that that's a fair way to describe the reasoning to, okay. to get out. I mean, I think that look, she her explanation, and I'm just going to say what her explanation was because I think that it probably holds water. Is she was saying that after the bowl season, after um, they hired the women's volleyball coach, they made that replacement. She spent some time with her family. She realized hey, this might be a good time, right? Mm -hmm. So for her personally and for Penn State University, uh, no no matter what, right, the new president of the university is going to have the option to either retain her and sign her to a next contract or to, to choose their own person. And, you know, whether those conversations happened already or they did not, I think that her making the decision to retire takes that off anybody's plate right like nobody has to make that decision now it is the the president gets to choose their next person she gets to choose what she does next she talked about wanting to get into teaching and you know i mean she's 
retirement age. Like she's right. had a very long and successful career. She said 41 years, I believe was the number that she said that she's had between coaching and athletic director. Right. Like, I mean, these, this is, this is, <laughs> and, a that's, long... and that's, that's, and that's dog years too, because of the, the amount of work you do at that position and the stress of the, the decisions you make. Um, I know fans want to know what was it? Phase two of the master plan all the way back in, 20 whatever when we all sat in the Heinz alumni uh, hall and they unveiled the update of all the facilities. Beaver stadium was a part of the plan. Where are we according to Sandy Barber as of today? For Beaver stadium or for just, yeah, I mean, for Beaver Beaver stadium. Stadium. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that the, and she, she was pretty firm on this because I think that people got the wrong impression necessarily from that master plan. If you if you listen to her and the way that she talked and spoke upon the release of the master, you know, the, the facilities master plan, it was, hey, uh, this is so far away from Beaver Stadium. Like yeah. we're, they're talking five years before you really even have the conversation and the point, And this is what got missed. And what is so jarring now is, hey, look at the scope of all of these other problems, all of these other facilities that if Penn State is going to maintain 31 sports have to be addressed. And she brought it up again today. She was like, these these are crucial. These are crucial things that student athletes in today's Division One landscape have to have. And Penn State does not have them, uh, either the right facilities the updated facilities, facilities that are in disrepair. And so, yeah, like is Beaver Stadium an important, crucial piece of the Penn State athletics landscape? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No question about that. But it is, it's still functional. It still works right now. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're getting closer, right? Like they, right. now that that time has progressed from the, the release of the master plan, that th- they are getting to the point now where, there are going to be some big decisions on the plate of the new president for Penn State and the new athletic director for Penn State and the the, the new board chair of the uh, the board of trustees. Like all of these things are going to happen at once, and I think she's I think she's right. Like in her instinct that maybe now is the right time to to get out to let these people who are going to be the leadership and the direction of where this is going for Penn State, for them to have the ball in their court and for them to guide this thing forward. Well, guide us forward and take us home, Nate. What were the last couple things that stood out from what she said that I have not asked you about so far on the show? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think I think that, and, and maybe this is just for me and what my impressions have been of her throughout her tenure at Penn State, but uh, it, I, I hammered this home the other day with you. It, it is truly about the student athlete for her. It, it is genuinely about yeah. caring for and you know, like you, you're being asked to shepherd um, th- these college experiences of so many people who put their their faith and their trust in you, right? Like, I mean, it is a it is a big decision. That is a big responsibility to have, um, you know. And she took it very very seriously. So I certainly I know I understand from from Penn State fans perspective. I mean, there's some people who um, are pro Sandy Barber. There's some people who are anti Sandy Barber. Um, but but the one thing that stands out to me about her tenure and the thing that she doubled down on today was just how important it was to her, like how how critical it was to her that those people that the that the student athletes and the coaches and the personnel under her care understood where she was coming from. And, um, you know, valued that, like valued the investment that she made and that she tried to put into making sure that their experiences were top notch. You're not uh, a leader uh, or somebody that does important things if you don't have people that both love and hate what you do, because having to make those decisions, not everybody's going to be happy because they're, you know, there are only so many resources to go around at Penn State. So uh, congratulations to her on retirement and Dave. Any final thoughts here on the show uh, about Sandy Barber or whatever? I want to make sure you've been quiet for a bit because we were we were talking about a couple other things. I want to make sure you get uh, any thoughts you have to wrap up the show. Yeah, I just thought real quick this was the the illuminating quote of the afternoon for Sandy Barber. Um, she says, "I think there comes a time where you just can't do it the way you expect to. 
that's part of my decision. I will not be an AD again. I'm going to close that chapter. So clearly she feels whether it's her, her just getting older or the changing landscape of college athletics or whatever, that there has been a, a shift where she cannot be an athletic director in the way that she would like to be an athletic director. So, you know, she's, she's, she's closing the book. Um, yeah. That's that, that to me, I guess is really what stood out from, from her, her speaking. Yeah. I, and I think that's, uh, I think that's fair. And, you know, James Franklin kind of echoed similar ideas and not necessarily putting one-to-one -one in, they both mean the same thing. But James Franklin said during his press conference in the last three years, we may have seen college football change more than in the last 15. And it's been this it's been this uh, uh, curve of, of change, the exponential curve of change where things keep changing faster and faster and faster and faster. So, you know, I, I think it's, as you both even pointed out, probably the right time for Sandy Barber, uh, who wants to know part of it seems uh, some of these big changes and these big decisions that are coming down the pipe for Penn state and for other schools that have large athletic departments. Some of the hard choices they might have to make. So that'll do it today for the BWI live show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. I'm going to borrow from uh, PTI and say, we'll try to do better than next time back at noon. I think <laughs> next week, uh, We'll make sure that we have that information out correctly, but should be back at noon in our regular time. Thanks, everybody who stuck around. Thanks to M. Shive for donating to the channel. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. This is BWI Live, BWI Recruiting Show on the BWI Daily coming up tomorrow, recapping the first visit weekend in March for Penn State football. Make sure you subscribe to Blue White Illustrated on YouTube so you don't miss that and more. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>